Hey, welcome to Trucking After Hours for the week of March 2nd, 2020. That music's growing on me. I like it. It just has the right attitude, I think. Can you hear it now, Don? I can hear the music. Okay. I like it. Yeah, we went a long time with, well, I'll just dub it in later because you can't hear it. It just didn't go over quite as well. Yeah, we are here. We are podcasting after hours with Buck Ballard. Don the beer guy. And, of course, manning all things Facebook. The castle curator, Chris. That's right. We are here. If you want to catch us doing the show live, which uh, every now and then somebody does, we do it every Sunday night, 8.45 p.m. Central Time, right here on Facebook Live. Sometimes that show will remain all week. Other times it will not. But uh, tonight's show is tonight's, tonight, tonight, a little better. Tonight, tonight, just coming tonight, <laughs> hot damn tonight. Woo! There we go. Tonight is, or this week is, whenever you're listening, seven lessons learned from jackknifing a semi. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> I said don't ask. <laughs> It's well, never that's stopped the first me thing before. We're gonna ask. Yeah. <laughs> we will we will get to that. Real quick, throw out a little bit of love. Trucker's Edge, guys. If you're an independent, you're using a load board, why not use the absolute best? Powered by DAT. Uh the oldest company in the load board industry. They invented the load board. Trucker's Edge, you can try it absolutely free. Just go to podcast uh, podcast. Truckingafterhours.com and you'll see it in the sidebar. Or, of course, you know, Trucking Podcast is still there. That site's going to be up for a good long time. You can find it there, too. That's Either right. one works. They'll take you right to it. You can sign up for uh, any one of those plans. Just click on uh, sign up, and it'll give you the chance to do so absolutely free. That's right. Free. Enough of that. Don had a great idea. I guess I had a great idea about 24 hours too late. Which <laughs> yes. Story of my life. The great things coming to me after after the fact. Leap year. Yes. Just had it yesterday. Would have been a great, a great day, day for a special, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, a one of, you know, once every four years, we're going to just rock the crap out of uh, a show. But now we've got to uh, file that away and remember it for four years. Uh, I will uh, put it in the day planner. I'll set an alarm on the phone. <laughs> and, and somebody in another country, you know, poverty stricken, will have this phone and beep, beep, beep. Leap year show. What is that? What the hell? <laughs> Somebody walking their goat on a leash, you know? <laughs> hey, before we get into the uh, jackknifing a semi story, let's shoot into a little bit of trucking news because I think this Walmart story, and I know we've talked about this before, the, the uh, Walmart lawsuit for should guys get paid while they're in the sleeper? Should guys get paid while they're off duty? What do they get paid for? I vaguely remember talking about this a, a little bit a while ago, but I didn't really understand all the ins and outs of it. Uh, I I was not understanding how Walmart pays their drivers. I think Walmart pays their drivers the same way most big companies do. It's by the mile. There's uh, pay for stops and detention and everything. But off-duty time, I mean, nobody would expect to be paid for your 10-hour break, your sleeper break. I, I mean, that I don't get why anybody would expect to be paid for that. But uh, this article kind of clears that up a little bit, why they should be expected to be paid for that. And it seems like 
Walmart doesn't have a really allow them to be free and away from that vehicle on their time off. Yeah. I go back and think when I first started trucking, and I don't know if trucking companies do this anymore. They didn't when I started where I am now. Uh, and I can't remember the last big company I'd worked for was however, and that's been several years ago. But uh, when I'd go to work for a company, one of the first things they'd give you is a form that was signed by an official of the company saying, when you are off duty, you are free of responsibilities for the truck. You were free to leave it in a truck stop, take a cab anywhere you wanted to go. Uh, right. It was not your responsibility. When you're off duty, you're off duty. That was something required to keep in your truck to prove that you were, in fact, off duty and allowed to be off duty. But Walmart has some weird requirements here, according to this. Because they're they're talking about what the courts actually looked at. And it wasn't Walmart's testimony. It wasn't employee testimony. It was the language written in the employee handbook. And that's that's what's gotten Walmart in trouble. Uh, they said, uh, set an example here. Walmart driver manual states a break may be taken at home only after receiving approval from a member of transportation management and that an unauthorized break at home is unacceptable and may lead to immediate termination. Uh, they say the court held that even while the employees may have been free to leave the truck and engage in personal activities during layovers, the language of the policy restricted drivers' freedom of movement and prevented drivers from making a unilateral decision to spend layovers at home without pre-approval. So I'm driving for Walmart. I'm delivering to the Walmart here in town. Hey, I'm going to go home. My castle curator is going to come pick me up and I'm going to go home for my 10 hour break. Yeah. Oh, well, no, you can't I that. can't make that decision. I have to call and I have to get permission to do that. And like you said, well, guess what? Because you have to do that. You're technically not off duty and you're supposed to be getting paid for that. So the moral of the story from what I've been reading in here is all the big companies are going to be checking their employee manuals with a fine tooth comb or paying up. Yeah. And this was what, 50, 55 million dollars. That's a big judgment. It's yeah, a lot of drivers and it goes back a while. That is. So yeah, that will have some repercussions in the industry. No, very, very. Great. Now the three cashiers that are our Walmart are going to get laid off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now there's only going to be one person in that self-service line helping you. What is it? The newspaper they have to come and do manually every time? You can't scan a newspaper and leave? Is that the one we have a problem no, with? No, it's it's at pick and save, but they've changed that. Oh, that's good. That always drove you nuts. You go to buy a newspaper, you scan it, and they've got to come in there. No. Yeesh. I don't know. the way. I like, I like self-check. I can get in and out quicker. Yes. I do. Except, and I think we've talked about this before, the little sensor that they have underneath where you bag your groceries. Oh, that drives me nuts. Is too damn sensitive. You put something in there, you scan something else, and if something in that bag moves. <laughs> Please remove items from baggage. Yeah. Please <laughs> wait for assistance. And it's 20 minutes for the one person who's in charge of 20 of these self-checkouts to come over and. Oh, okay. Yeah, it happens all the time. See, we have we'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, we have usually at least two people in each in the section. They're always there. They aren't needed anywhere else on the floor. Okay. The ours is there's there's a two or three people that can fix all these things, but I think our Walmart probably has close to twenty. 
different versions of self-checkout. Some are, are the wow. oh, yeah. ones for doing a handful of items. Some are the bigger ones that still have a conveyor belt and everything. That's crazy. De Beer, I mean, these, De Beer these has that. Oh, do they? Wow. See, you've got you've got a big Walmart. De Pere has a big Walmart, much much nicer one than ours, and they, <laughs> they have several self check areas. Here's something I don't see at Walmart: is I heard all of these blowhard truck drivers back in the day. Oh, the DMD logs come up. I'm going to quit and be a greeter at Walmart. I have not seen a single greeter at Walmart that looks like they might have been a truck. We don't have greeters at our Walmart anymore. <laughs> we still do. We it. do. Yeah, We've we got do. a couple that look like truck drivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they aren't all male. You, you almost want to ask. <laughs> if they're all male? Yeah. Did you? you, <laughs> yeah, you well, this, these days you really can't. Would somebody I don't think explain you can to me? Legally ask that anymore. In, in today's <laughs> no. environment of of LGBTQ, whatever the heck, and, and gender identity, why are they doing gender reveal parties? Shouldn't you let the kid grow up and decide that? Yeah, I think those are the stupidest thing <laughs> ever. I don't know. I, I've never gotten it. <laughs> I didn't want it. Everybody was like, "Oh, don't you want to be surprised?" No, because <laughs> the last thing I want to do after this thing is born is have to go buy stuff for it. Yeah. I want to yeah. come home for it and, and have it done. already here. <laughs> there we go. Drug Clearinghouse. Let's cover that one real quick just because that was interesting. Okay. There is only one thing to cover here in, in that entire article. Go okay. right ahead. It's it's the government creating an issue, you know, a, a solution to an issue here of this, this clearinghouse. So it's going to be full of problems. The, the only thing that needs to be talked about are the 8,000 drivers who have failed a drug test since January 6th. 8,000 drivers <laughs> have failed in this system so far, but it might be eight, nine months before any of them have any repercussions from it because they can't get the data processed fast enough. On top of that, they raised the amount of drivers tested. A company now has to test 50% of their employees every year instead of, what was it, 10% or 20%? I think so. I think it was 10%. Yeah, 50% of their employees. That, that's 50%. just nuts. On a database, yeah. they can't keep up. Uh, it's just uh, This thing has been riddled with problems since day one. Well, it's the government, yeah. I, they know what they're doing, though. Right. There's there's somebody who created this thing who doesn't even know what a truck is. Yeah. Well, when I called them up and asked them for advice, their, their answer to me was, <laughs> With Would that. you care to make a donation to the presidential campaign fund? <laughs> Hell no. I'll tell you another thing they screwed up. The withholding the withholding form. I mean, every year we get a check back from the state and we take that check and add a little bit to it and send it to the feds. We always yep. end up owing a little bit. This year it was a little more. It's like, ah, oh, maybe this is the year I need to go change my will. I'm not the guy who wants to get a big return. We, we've never wanted the big return. We'd rather have our money every month. I want but, more money every month. Well, we check. want both. We want the big return well, and we ideally, want our money yeah, we, every month. We really do. But uh, we always end up getting some back from state and adding that plus a little more to the feds. And it, it's close, close enough that we've always been happy. They don't do the, uh, what was that, the, uh, the W-4 that you filled out for that and, you know, married and yes. how many dependents. Now they've got a whole new form that's complicated as hell, and you know they made tax returns easier. So I took a wild shot in the dark and filled it out, and we'll see how my taxes look next week. And if I don't like it, I'll change it again. But what a pain <laughs> in the butt! They got to change everything. And here's another thing: stop referring to me as a wrinkled up old skunk. Sorry, because it's it's horrible for my image. 
Let's jump into it here. Seven lessons learned from jackknifing a semi. And this goes back to, I believe, just before Thanksgiving, a week or two before Thanksgiving in 1999. Now, I got my license October of 98. <laughs> so we're my first full winter on my own driving truck. I started out, I went to a really crappy CDL school, got my license, drove part-time for the cabinet company I was working for for three or four months, and then went on with uh, the bigger company. One of the cool things that happened there, they had all, and we've talked about it before, beautiful 379 Pete's. Oh, beautiful um, trucks. Yeah, they were gorgeous trucks. Um, I was gone a lot. I'd leave Sunday night, I'd get home Friday, and I was tired, but I was watching- And your logbook said you were still out on the road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm watching, and we have this one truck that kind of strikes my eye because it's the only oddball in the bunch. It is a 377 Peterbilt with a little 36-inch top sleeper. And a guy named Joe ran that truck. And I'm talking to Joe, and, and uh, it has a wet kit on it, which is a, a power takeoff unit to run a feature on a trailer. And we had one live floor trailer. So the floor, the trailer will, well, you open up the doors, and it will just dump whatever's in it out the back. The live floor walks the freight to the back and dumps it off. It's amazing to watch. It is cool to watch, yes. And you you uh, roll the top open and you load it from the top with a big old front end loader and then drive the product, whatever it may be. And in this case, it was all yard mulch. Well, he didn't want to do this run anymore because it used to go from um, Rice Lake, where we lived at the time, to the Twin Cities, all over the place to the Twin Cities landscaping places. It went twice a day. So that was a lot of miles, and they were moving it to Hayward. Well, he didn't want to go all the way to Hayward because that added another 40 miles each way from the cities and two trips a day. That's another 160 miles a day. And right. I'm thinking, cash cow, and I can get home maybe a night or two a week running this thing. Right. So he left. I took that truck with barely 100,000 miles on it. It was a 99. Little 36-inch flat top, but I was, you know, I, I never stayed out over the weekends, and I got Usually got home at least one night a week when we were doing the bark. Yeah. So I'd run that bark hot and heavy all summer. And then I ran my ass off 700, 750 miles a day. But we paid off some bills. Oh, yes. And then come fall, the the this is all landscaping. As fall drops in and, and the landscaping goes away. Now I'm going to go back out on the road. And I'm ready to go back out on the road. So October, I'm getting a lot of Chicago and a lot of Chicago. And finally in November... I did a couple of longer runs. And then again, this is my first year. So I finally talked him into letting me do a Knoxville run. And I've never been to Knoxville, Tennessee before. So I was quite excited about it. And this was a Wednesday night. The plan was I was going to come to the yard, pick up my trailer, fuel up, and head to Knoxville, unload Friday morning. And then he had a backhaul that came right back to Eau Claire and uh, unload, reload, and... Uh, make it home late Friday night, maybe early Saturday morning, but it was Knoxville. I wanted it. Good miles. Right. I come into the yard. I hook up my trailer, do my drop and hook, hook up my trailer, a 53-foot drive-in, and I'm just getting ready to fuel it up, and the boss comes out. It's like, why are you here? It's like 9 o'clock at night. Right. And he says, well, we have a problem, and that we had one guy named Kurt who would not drive a 379, but he was friends with the owners, and uh, they always appeased him. He had a big uh, international 9900. A company truck, but they bought him the international because he didn't like the Peterbilts. And it was also heavy. Schmuck. Yeah. So he says, we've got a problem. His load is too heavy. I need to put him on the Knoxville run, and I need you to take his load. Well, great. There went Knoxville. And I hooked his trailer up to mine, and, and he was like 
4,000 pounds too heavy. My little 377 with the flat top and a smaller motor, I was still about 1,500. But I know exactly where it's going. It's going into southern Minnesota, Fremont, Minnesota. I know how to get around all the scales. Right. And the boss knows that. He says, if something goes wrong, I'll pay for it. This was long before the uh, safer scores and all of that crap. So uh, no big deal. As long as you're going to pay if I get caught, I'll run it. It was also snowing like hell and windy as can be. <laughs> so the plan was um, deliver that load in Fremont that night. And then I had to reload at 10 o'clock that night in southern Minnesota, south of the Twin Cities. And that was just scrap paper coming back. And then he he said he'd make it up to me Thursday, Friday in the next week. And I, and I trusted him. They were really good to me. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I have in those seven lessons is learn to say no. And I really don't mean to that oversight, that overweight load, because I knew how to deal with it. I was very skilled at dealing with it and still am today. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me how I know. And he's all, they did me a lot of favors. So yeah. I, I had no problem. They treated you good there. They really did. That one kind of blindsided them on the load it was. And, uh, you know, it was what it was. So that doesn't come up on taking the oversized load. I'd, I'd do that again. But what happened is I delivered that load. It was snowing all the way down. By the time I delivered in southern Minnesota, the snow had gone away. Uh, at least fall had gone away. It was windier than hell. And I've got an empty 53-foot trailer. And I'm heading up these little two-lane highways on my way to Lesueur, Minnesota. What a fine name for a town. Lesueur. That's French for... Uh... Sewer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I am on my way to the sewer on this, I believe it's Highway 20 north of Fremont. And it is awful. There's two or three of us in, in line talking on the CV. Uh, there's a Cenex in this little town up ahead. And I decide, you know what? I'm bagging it. I'm going to park here till morning and I'm going to call it quits. And there was a tanker that I was talking with uh, on the CB, and he'd also pulled into Senex to get some coffee and just regroup because it was it was awful. So I called the boss and I told him I was going to bag it and do it in the morning. I I got to have that trailer back in the morning. I I, I can't have it out overnight. I you you do what you got to do, but it's really going to screw me up if I don't have that trailer back here in the morning. Well, I should have told him to pound sand, but I wanted the miles. I'd already lost enough that day. And then the guy in the tanker told me before he left, he said, you know, Highway 169 is 15 miles up the road. That's going to be salted. And he's correct. It, it would have been. That's going to be salted and treated. You just have to make it up there. But they are not going to plow this. They're not going to salt this road all night long, not in this wind and this cold. For those of you who don't live in this neck of the woods, what does salt not do when you're down below about eight degrees? Yeah. Anything at all. melt the ice. Yeah, no. it, it's too cold. It. It slides on the ice. <laughs> That's about it. It, it doesn't give you traction. So they do not salt roads until, um, yeah, it's a little warmer about, and the wind dies About down. 10 to 15 degrees, they'll start salting. Exactly. So I knew he was right, so I decided to keep going. And long story short, I ended up jackknifed in a cornfield about 10 miles north of that little little stop. Little Senex. Yep. And I can still visualize that accident in my head where the wind hit me, where I watched that trailer come around, where I literally, the cab of the truck went back to the side. The driver's side landing gear went through the uh, driver's side fuel tank that I just filled up 150 <laughs> miles ago. Um, and it's colder than hell out. So lesson number one in this, let's, let's deal with the elements first. Be prepared for the unexpected. 
Yeah. And this is something that I, I guess I'm just ingrained in because I realize I'm on my own out there. Do I always have enough to stay warm? I don't know how long it's going to be before somebody comes along and, and finds me. I always did have enough to stay warm. I always packed enough extra clothes. I always packed enough extra lights, uh, flashlights, things like that. If, if the engine shut off and it's, you know, zero out, I need to stay warm and sleep till morning. Um, yeah. You know, those are what it is. I didn't have a cell phone back then. So that was a little weird. Lesson number two, trust your gut. And we'll go back to when I let the boss and the uh, other guy, I listened to them. I should not have gone back out there. My gut feeling yeah. was, screw this. It's not worth it. Park the truck. And I should have stayed at that Cenex till morning and figured it out then. And Yeah, I, trusting your gut is, is especially out on the road. For some reason, we have this uncanny ability to know when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. But we also have this uncanny ability to say, F you, I know what I'm doing. You just shut up, little monster in my belly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I go back to my years of hauling livestock and, and uh, Danny would call me up at maybe seven o'clock or, or like five o'clock at night because I'd go pick up my trailer around six or seven. This weather is ugly and it's getting worse. Do you want us to just send you out in the morning and, and uh, see if the storm goes over? And and in my brain, I'm thinking if I if I go in the morning, number one, they've got to feed animals that night. They've got to feed them again the next morning. And that's a long and, and pain in the ass process. And you got to find help at the last minute. Um, and number two, cost the company money. It costs the company money, uh, and, you, and the longer you hold the animals, the longer the risk of losing a couple. But the biggest one was if I go at night, the only thing is me, a trailer full of of calves, and a nice, well equipped four wheel drive vehicle, and a company credit card. And all I'm dealing with is the elements. If I go out there the next morning, there might have been a plow through there, but I've got fifteen thousand assholes and cops everywhere. Right. So that was always a factor. But on this one, I should have parked. I should have part. The other one, lesson number four on here, actually lesson number three, learn to say no. That goes along with trusting your gut. Lesson number four is take advice with a grain of salt from other truck drivers and truckers on the CB. The, even if they mean well, hey, you know, you're, you're 15, 20 miles away from highway ones. Yeah, but all, yeah. I, all I need is, you know, 250 feet in the wrong wind to fold my truck in half. Exactly. Had I had two or three years driving experience instead of being in my first year, that accident wouldn't have happened. A, I would have had the skill to uh, maneuver through that. And B, I would not have been on that road in that weather. That Yeah, empty with a, a 53-foot wind sail. Exactly. Now, this was, again, we're, we're talking 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. It's dark. There was a truck in front. Well, the tanker was in front of me, and he kept going, um, and that's fine. So after it happened and I am off, I have no way of calling authorities. The truck is off the road completely. It is in the cornfield. Yeah. Uh, the, the DOT bumper is completely off the pavement where it's hanging over. It, it folded well. The sleeper is damaged. There's a door on the driver's side of the sleeper that's you know kind of half open, half closed because it got buckled. Up. I mean, it, it made a mess. So there the truck is. There I am. A Werner truck pulled off first uh, and uh, very nice couple in the Werner truck, they were willing to take me back down to the Senex station, which was like 20 miles away. But also a, a gentleman in the pickup stopped and he lived two miles north. And he says, I can take you to my house and we can wait and we can call the cops and we can wait there for him. I'm going to stick. Common sense says stay closest to the truck. 
Right. So I left the four ways on and I headed to, I took the ride from him, let the Werner truck go. And the, here's the funniest damn thing. This guy, I don't know who he is. Don't know his name from Adam farmhouse and, you know, farm country. We get to his house. He shows me where soda is, where food is, where blankets are. You can crash on the couch if you need to. I'm off to my girlfriend's house. Lock the door on your way out. And he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> that That is one thing we are blessed with is is that uh, those kind of people are all around here. Yeah. Yeah, they you are. Know, give you the shirt off their back and not expect a thing for it. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry I didn't catch his name and at least send him a thank you card or something. So I called it in, and I, you know, I made it very clear to the, to the uh, 911 dispatcher who connected me to the state police. And, and uh, is the vehicle clear off the road? I said, the vehicle is yes. It is completely off the road. It's not a danger to anybody, and it is lit, at least for you know a few hours. Right. Um, so I said, well, just stay there. They have a busy night. They'll come and get you when they're ready. And I sat there and watched TV for probably – 90 minutes waiting for the state cop to show up. <laughs> now, did you look at uh, lesson number five on this board? Well, not on the board. Or but on the list. I did, I did look at lesson number five. Don't be a jerk to law enforcement. There you go. When this, when this guy came to pick me up and it was a state trooper and he, and he came to pick me up and I had my law, I had, a, I had everything there. I had my logbook and my uh, permit pamphlet and everything. Um, so, you know, he looked at that in the car because he had to by law. That's, that's what he's required to do. And he wasn't a DOT cop. He was just a state trooper. So right. we so we go back to the truck and we had a very pleasant conversation. I apologize for leaving the scene, but I said, I didn't know how long it would be. I have I can't idle the truck anymore. I have no way to stay warm. I need to stay alive. And he totally got right. it. He said, no, that's, don't worry about it. So uh, he said, we knew you weren't going anywhere. Yeah. So we go back to the truck and he shines a spotlight on that fuel tank that's still, you know, pouring fuel out it, it's still uh -oh. it's still leaking fuel and that truck had i think i had 235 usable one tank was bigger than the other because uh the passenger tank was uh split in half for hydraulic fluid for the wet kit okay to run the live floor trailer so he's shining his light on there and he says well how much fuel was in that tank and uh oh man and then he stopped me right there he says if you say more than five gallons i have to call a hazmat <laughs> and i said five yeah. gallons I said, I was just about ready to shut it off. It was pretty much empty. Um, and he just smiled. And he says, that's what I wanted to hear. He had enough going on that night. And it's cold yeah. and nobody wants to go out and deal with that stuff. So, yeah, there's 100 gallons of fuel in somebody's cornfield. But at least we're not paying to dig it all up and have it incinerated. Exactly. That is that is a mess. And that was because I was pleasant. I was not a dick. I didn't blame anybody. That you know, I did this. I own it. Now, while we're sitting getting all of this figured out... And waiting for a tow truck to pull the thing out of the ditch and see if it's drivable so I can drive it at least back to the Cenex. Um, I got to tell you this. I called the boss. Now, yep. apparently he had some warning of this from somebody else because I hadn't called anybody yet. But <laughs> this is a trucking company owner. The first thing he asked me when I told him what happened. Do you remember me telling you this? I'm probably, I'm sure I do. But yeah, it you're was still going to be able to get that trailer here in the morning. Oh, no. Are you going to be able oh, to get a load in that trailer so we don't have to bring it home empty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I said, absolutely not. I don't even yeah. know if it's going to, if the truck's going to go. We will see what it gets out. So the wrecker shows up, and by now a DOT cop is there. And he's shining his flashlight at the thing, and he keeps telling the, uh, the, the state cop in the car, 
do you know how to look at his logbook and make sure? And he's just going on and on, grassing this guy. I got it under control. I don't need any help. The guy's good. Everything's legal. Don't worry about it. I think we need a hazmat on that fuel tank. It's under control. Don't worry about it. And he was pissed. But he was no. sticking up for me. And that was because I was a, I was not a dick. I was a nice guy. You, you, know? you have to be. You no. know, they, they don't want to roll up and... Yeah, there are going to be some that they're on a power trip. That's why they became cops. 99% of them, no, they don't want to be there on the side of the road any more than you do. Exactly. You had everything ready. You knew what they're going to need. You knew what questions they're going to ask. You know, this this is all stuff that everybody should know. Yeah. And they're also, even the 911 operator told me, we have we have cars and trucks off the road all over the state. Yeah. They have enough to do that night. So yep. w- when we finally get the truck towed out, and luckily they towed it out facing the other direction because I was going to go back anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I fire it up. It runs. That tank is a problem because there's fuel in there and the leak is not enough for it to have completely emptied out. It, it's dribbling a bit, but right. it's up high. The split is not at the bottom of the tank. It's part way up and it's almost empty. So I knew I would have to deal with that. But for now, let's just get it down to the Cenex and away from everything. And I get down to the Cenex. The door doesn't close right. I can't idle the truck. Thank God I had enough blankets and stuff. I knew I'd be warm and safe or I'd go find a hotel or something. Right. But uh, I was going to be okay. But that damn DOT cop shows back up again. Oh, and he's gosh. looking at the tank and he says, uh, I don't know why your buddy is protecting you, but I'm not going to give you a ticket for the equipment or anything tonight. But consider this truck out of service. I don't want to see it leave here on its own till that tank is removed. And he was not nice and he left. So I, I went and I, I had some duct tape again, be prepared, always be prepared for the unexpected. And I took a bath towel and I made this like a baseball, um, the first base pad. What do you call that? The for first base, the base. Yeah. The base. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I made, I made the towel into something like that, stuck it over that hole and I strapped the hell out of it with, I think I used a whole roll of duct, duct tape, making it and strapping it to the tank. And then I thought, well, I need to go slip out of here real quick. And the other DOT cop show or the other cop showed up, the state cop, uh, because he'd been back to the scene and handled a couple other things. And he told me, he says, that guy has a heart on. He's going to be here in the morning to uh, cause shit or he's going to see that somebody else is. But he, he says, we have our command meeting or whatever at 7 a.m. He says, I suggest you get up at about 645 Fire this thing up and get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> Thank you. That is nice. And I did. So, uh, you know, the other thing I'll add in this is safety has always got to come first of, of, of you and the motoring public. And we talked about being prepared and keeping warm and stuff like that. But had that truck not been completely off the road, you know, nobody's going to see those damn triangles. And there I wasn't prepared. I didn't have enough illumination to light that thing up. I certainly couldn't have left it. I would have had to stay no. there with it. If it's blocking the road, I need to be there. Yeah. And those, even under the best circumstances, the, the way people drive and, and the million things that they're thinking of, those triangles don't warn anybody. Well, you hardly see them. <laughs> I saw some not too far from us from a truck that uh, broke down near the mill. And, you know, you put them out, what, 10 feet, 10 feet and 10 feet, and they stagger in towards the curb. If you broke down, yeah. by this, 
he started his out by the curb and staggered him out the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) We all had a lot of laughs. Here is the biggest lesson I learned out of this. And and this really surprised me because, you know, when I, my first year at that job, I mean, I would leave after dinner Sunday night and I'd get home Friday. So I get that truck back, you know, early, uh, mid-morning Thursday. And I knew all the side roads to get back. You know, this is the backyard of where I was de- delivering yard mulch all summer long. I knew how to get around every scale. And this is my first year in the business. I know how to right. get around every scale in Wisconsin and Minnesota, <laughs> legal or otherwise. There was one stretch of, uh, I think it's Highway 12. It runs uh, parallel with Interstate 94. Uh, the catch with Highway 12 is, is limited to uh, nine, was it, uh, 96 inch wide and 65 inch, 65 feet long. Yeah. So I was too big to be on that road legally. And they would pick up trucks going around the scale house all the time up on Highway 12. Great place to just for a cop to sit and you see a semi there, pull it over because it shouldn't be there. It's too wide and too long. It was about yeah. a $400 fine at the time. But I could ride up a bill of lading to a landscaping company that was up the road in there. And, oh, I'm on my way there to deliver. <laughs> I'm legal. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> False bill. Until he follows you. I wrote, I, you know, I hand wrote all my bills of lading anyway, so right. <laughs> it was just funny. But anyway, I, I get back to the yard and I told the boss, we didn't have a truck for me to use for that day or the next day, and I don't want to get back in a truck for a while. So yeah. I said, I think I need to take a few days off. And he says, no, I'm going to, I think he sent me back either to Knoxville or um, we used to haul some stuff down to Covington, Tennessee, Slim Fast. He gave me one of the, one of those two. I can't remember which one, but he says, that needs to be there Monday morning. And I, I never leave Sunday morning. I leave Sunday night. And I fought yeah. him on it. And when I got home, I told you about it. Yeah. And you agreed with him. No, you need to go. Yep. You need to leave Sunday morning. You need to take that run, get in a new truck, put it in the wind and go. Yeah. You you come home for a couple of days to decompress or unwind. It Every day makes it harder and harder to get back. And, you know, and in hindsight, and I knew it when, when he told me that, and I knew it when Chris, who really hated to see me go, and Sunday was family day, said, no, you need to go. It's like, I need to trust these two because they're looking out for me. Get back yeah. on the horse and go do the run. Yep. Here's the funny thing with that 36-inch flat top. And, and again, 377 Pete, little C13, 13 speed. It was a fun little truck. Um it was actually worth more as a day cab. Really? It, I actually had bent the frame on that truck. They actually had to have the frame straightened. They pulled the sleeper off, put a bulkhead in the back of the uh, cab, and <laughs> kept it as a day cab. And it, they actually came out ahead. And they replaced it with a 379 because when the new truck came in, I said, I can't believe this. I wrecked the truck. Can you give me back a brand new, better truck than the one I wrecked? <laughs> <laughs> they probably couldn't believe it either. No. So. Yeah. What the hell are we thinking here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember the next week getting my paycheck, and uh, it, it was a husband and wife that actually owned the company, and their kids that run it, and it's their son that I work for that I answered to. But I remember the wife handing me my check, and I looked at it, and I said, I can't believe I wrecked your truck, and you paid me to drive it home. And she said, I don't get that either, to be quite honest, but but Brian insisted on it. Well, I was out there to do him a favor. I screwed up. I own it. But, right. you know. He kind of owned it too. I'm just kind of yeah. curious because I've never thought about it before, but did the fuel damage the cornfield? Do you remember, um, and, and this is kind of a long way around it, it would do some damage. Do you remember in our farmhouse when I was hot shotting, I put in a auxiliary fuel tank 
and I put it in myself. The problem was in the neck of my factory fuel tank, I had a fuel leak. So I have this 70-gallon auxiliary fuel tank, and in the driveway, parked with a full tank on that thing, it leaked all night long. Hmm. And probably 35 gallons of that fuel leaked. It was in the loop in front. We had a driveway where you'd pull up in front of the house in a big circle so you could drive in and out and never hit reverse. I had this big spot where that diesel fuel had gotten into the weeds and stuff. I dropped a match in it. I'm out there with the garden hose. And <laughs> I, I thought, well, I'm going to burn this stuff off because I don't know exactly where the water flow of our well is under there. Well, it took about five minutes to realize I need to put this out or I'm not going to have control over it. And I actually got the fire extinguisher out of my truck and emptied it on that and had to go buy a new <laughs> fire extinguisher. But uh, yeah, nothing. We were we were in that house seven years in that spot. And nothing grew. So, yes, but you're so, telling me, yes, yes the it, it, cornfield was damaged. It damaged. It damaged probably a four-foot square spot where nothing's going to grow for, well, at least seven years. <laughs> <laughs> but the farmer never gets reimbursed far, for far, anything. Farmer had, I don't think the farmer, I, I, if there was a farmhouse near there, I didn't see it, but it was a cornfield. Yeah. You, you know, you could tell, you could tell from where the uh, truck had slid the uh, snow out of the way that, I knew when I hit my, I, my shoulder hit the armrest of the truck and I knew I probably cracked a couple of ribs and there's nothing you can do with the cracked rib. And if there's an injury, now the accident becomes a, a next level of severity and nobody yeah. wins and they can't do anything about a cracked rib anyway. But yeah, you just, you keep your mouth shut with that stuff. You, you know, that's it. You, you know, suck it up and get back in and you get back in and you drive. What, and what do you do? It's, yeah. it's life. Yeah. It happens. Uh, I will add one other thing though. Um, I had the chance to do these, um, oh, it was an all-weather training, and they have a skid course and everything else at the uh, community college down in Appleton, Fox Valley. It was a one-day course, and, and we had the morning screwing around with Ford Crown Vicks ex-cop cars, yeah. and then the afternoon screwing around with a, and a day cab semi and a 48-foot 48 48 flatbed trailer, but it was still pretty darn cool. So uh, It would be. It was cool, and and we really got to learn some stuff. And uh, they would pair us up two in a two in a vehicle, and you had exact instructions on what to do. And the partner had the box controller in his hand that would lock up trailer wheels, lock up uh, the left side, the right side, both, and screw with you. Yeah, and it really it was kind of fun to figure all that out. You also learned how the anti lock brakes work because we're old school. We both had to relearn this with with new yeah. cars with anti lock brakes. You don't pump the brakes anymore. Yeah. It's, and a semi is the same way. You just hold that brake down and let the anti-lock brake do its thing. Yeah. Now, they're, now, they're just like the cars now. Exactly. Now, in the case of a, of a you know trailer coming around you and a jackknife, you can tap that trailer brake, and usually that'll just pull it right back in. And that would still be, in my mind, my first course of action before I'm going to throw out the anchor. Yeah. The only downside of anti-lock brakes is if you manage to lock it, like in your in your vehicle if you're on ice and all four wheels locked up at the same time the vehicle believes it stopped so your anti-lock is not going to work well that makes sense yeah total sense. but that's that's absolutely not something you would think of no and i think most the other thing that was really important that i learned out of that course was uh now you know where i got the quack room the other thing i learned out of that course i just go with this Damn text message. <laughs> Shut your phone off. Shiny object. Shiny object. Because we were talking about the anti-lock brake. Um, yeah. Darn it. I had another thing. Totally. Oh, look. 
where you want to go. As you're trying to correct out of losing control of your vehicle, that vehicle is going to go where you're looking. Yeah. If if you're looking at the ditch, you're going to steer it into the ditch. If you're looking at that road, you're going to steer it back onto that road. Look where you want the truck to go. You're still going to make the corrective measures, but the brain and the arms work together. Look where you want it to go. So I, I can't go back now and rethink, geez, did I look at that cornfield? I probably didn't know it was there. <laughs> Could you even no. see it, though? I didn't know what it was when I left the road. I knew I left the road, and it, you know, it happens pretty quick. Several years later, well, this was, I'll tell you when this was. This was 2010 when I went back after uh, we got back from Rochester. So we're going back 2009. Yeah, it was January 2010, my first two loads when we came back were oversized going out to Seattle. And I watched a prime truck and I heard him on the CB. I'm in the left lane passing. I'm governor to 64. And he's coming down the hill, just screaming on the CB, get out of my way. Got to go, got to go, got to go, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, as soon as I'm done passing, I'll move over. I got no place to go. The roads are slick, but I'm doing 64. I'm I'm 80,000 pounds and, you know, gripping the road just fine. He's yeah. driving like a madman. I moved over and just before he got behind me, I watched him in my mirror, fold that thing in half and go into the middle. Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's just sad. No. Okay. Now that we beat this horse into the ground, what do you say we do? Well, you, you forgot uh, part of being prepared. It's ingrained into everybody's head when they're a kid. Wear clean underwear in case you get in an accident. <laughs> oh, right. so, yeah, somebody That's put right. that. So, okay. At one point in that story, did you slip out of the, the crap-filled underwear, <laughs> fling them out the window, and put the clean ones on? I have a high amount of rational grit, so I did not have that problem. <laughs> I did what not do you have call that? Rational grit. Oh, Lord. Rational grit. But you know, every... I thought you said rectal grit. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Yeah, but uh, for the next year or so, every, every time Chris fired up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half an hour. <laughs> That's one hell of a butt pucker story. Hey, I will say. Yeah, You know, it was, and it was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to write a post on it, but I thought it was worth talking about just for, just for good experience. I mean, bad things happen. The way to avoid that, A, would have been, you know, some better training to start with, because I went to the world's worst truck driving school. If you ever, yeah. if you ever go through Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. It accomplished what I needed it to do. And their thought process is, well, we just have to get you to Swift and they'll teach you everything else. Right. I didn't want to go to Swift, and I didn't go to Swift, but I also, uh, after a short amount of, of running with a couple of other guys at the cabinet company, get out on my own in a big old Peterbilt, and their training system was, well, we're going to put you in this for a few months, and if you don't wreck it, we'll give you a nicer truck. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, it, it's, That's the way, uh, the way the business works oh, on, anymore, unfortunately. Oh, isn't that... This and I, I will say, you know, and, and I've, of my entire driving uh, years have been in this state, driving in the winter. And, you know, every year that that first snowstorm that we get or the, the first day where the, the roads are a little nasty, it, it takes a little bit of remembering. You got to retrain, yeah. When, when you're back in that truck and, you know, then this last year. Uh, I got stuck in one of the automatics. Oh. Well, they handle completely different. Yeah. 
you know, I, I missed having the ability to downshift, you know, and, and choose what gear I wanted to be in because the automatic, it just cares about the best fuel economy. Yeah. It, it does take a while to relearn how everything handles when the roads are nasty. You know, and the other thing that's your trick when the roads are nasty is, is you have to be so careful when you're picking a trailer up that's been sitting on ice. And the only way you know that thing's connected is to get out and crawl under it and look. Yeah. And I know you're supposed to do that on every trailer, every move. Um, and I'm pretty good at that. But, man, when you're pulling a trailer off the ice, you watch your ass. Mm-hmm. Just even if where the truck is, you're you're paved. You're dragging that thing off the ice. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Be careful out there. This week in beer, let's move on to it. All right, this week in beer, um, <laughs> I actually have firsthand knowledge of this because this typical brand of beer is one in our warehouse, and sales are down. This just cracks me up. Sales of Corona beer are down. Don't know why. Go figure. Um, I wonder if lime is down too. But we're, we're not talking just a little bit either. We're talking a fairly substantial drop. Um, what was this? I'm trying to find the actual percentage of beer. Uh, it's 38% of beer drinkers surveyed absolutely said, no, I will not. I will not get a Corona. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? It's, it's a bad name. No, Corona, it's it's a delicious beer. It's a Mexican beer. The coronavirus was nowhere near Mexico, so I don't know how Corona came into it. But, no, it, it is absolutely affecting uh, Corona sales nationwide. See, now, uh, I would be, if I was still a beer drinker, and if Corona built, made, a, made a non-alcoholic beer, I would be buying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was absolutely. good beer. It is. It's it's a very good beer. They even found out that fourteen uh, percent of people who oh, I only drink Corona flat out said, "I'll still drink it, but I'm not going to go somewhere and order a Corona." Isn't that weird? That just yeah. cracks me up. I I guess I'm just a little more in your face than most because. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is, there were sixteen percent of the people that were surveyed. Yeah, that didn't know. That they are not related. <laughs> that, yeah. They, they assume, no, you get the coronavirus from oh, Corona. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they're Bernie supporters. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking so. Hey, what's going on on Facebook? We actually have a comment there. I like it. Uh, Jake said, we're back to fuel economy and automatics. He said, not even fuel economy. They, meaning automatics, have a mind of their own. There are transmissions eaten that just argue with you. I totally get it, yes. and and this whole adaptive cruise control crap, I drove one truck with that when I was over the road. I had a, a brand new, that was a 2018, brand new Kenworth, uh, one of the first vehicles with adaptive cruise to the company, and I, do you still hear me? Yeah. Okay, I don't know why. Um, so that had the adaptive cruise control, and I'm going to Michigan, so... I do like I always do. That was before they raised the speed limit to trucks to 65. Speed limit's 60. I'm in Michigan. I got the cruise set on about 61, 62. And I look down and I've got this light green light on the dash. Happy lights, you know, saying you're maximizing fuel economy. Yeah, but I'm going 57. I set the cruise at at 62. So you touch on the throttle and the green light goes off. It goes back up 62. 
But since it knows better than you, it's going to slow you down to 57. The problem being you just lost, uh, what, two bucks an hour? Yeah. Because you're going four or five miles slower. I don't want right. to lose two bucks an hour. I want to go 62. So yeah. every time that light comes on, I got to have to throttle. Now you get up to a big hill and you're in Michigan. Well, they will let you get away with 62, but they're not going to let you get away with 65 or more. They, they really aren't nice. Don't screw with Michigan. But yeah. you go over the top of the hill at 57. You're going down the other side and you look down and you're doing 68 and the truck is in neutral. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? So you tap on the brakes, it shifts down and brings you back to about 64, which I can get away with that. Like, oh, yeah. Man. I finally show up at my appointment 15 minutes late. I get a call from my dispatcher. Well, I have to explain to the shipper why you arrived 15 minutes late. Okay, I'm just not somebody who, even though it's true, is going to say it's because your brand new truck sucks. I'm just not going to say that. Uh, nice truck, just don't trust adaptive crews because it will screw with you. Yeah. But, uh, you know, at some point you just get tired of fighting it and go 57. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I don't want to. <laughs> oh, man. This next one, our big rolling turd story. I mean, I didn't know whether to call it a big rolling turd, a big falling turd. You really couldn't call it a big flying turd. Um, no. And and the only YouTube video we could find, it never left the ground because the one time it did leave the ground, it didn't work out too well. But I remember this thing being on the front of Popular Science and all these magazines. Oh, yeah. This was what, 73? Uh, yeah. It was made between 71 and 73. And it was always prototype. I believe there were three of them. And, and there's YouTube videos of it taxing. I Every time they try and fly in it, it would break one of the struts, and that would be the end of it. Describe what we're talking about, Beer Guy. Uh, we are talking about basically a, a Ford Pinto with the ass end and wings of a Cessna. This is just hilarious looking. The Avi, a, Avi a Mitzar, flying they Pinto. A Avi Mitzar. A flying Pinto. And the funny thing with this thing is you would keep the airplane portion of it in a hangar at the airport, drive your Pinto, and you wanted to fly somewhere, you would back under it, much like a truck camper, connect it appropriately, and load up and take off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a great idea. I mean, it, it had two engines. It, it had the, the plane engine, and it still had the car engine, which was actually smart. It allowed it to take off faster and in less space. Because you can run both engines until you left the ground. You use both engines. Then you shut off the, the car engine and just let the plane engine go. Um, I think it would carry still carry four people. I couldn't really find a whole lot on how they attached. But they didn't attach very well. They Well, it sounds like they attached, for the most part, fairly well. It sounds like it, I believe it had, it had, it had, Two flights. The first one w was not successful, but it, it did not crash. It was flown by a test pilot who obviously knew his stuff, knew what he was doing. And there were these uh, supports that came from the wings down to a bracket that had been welded onto the car. Just in front of the rear wheels. I'm looking at the picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. And during the first flight, the, the test pilot realized 
the bracket, I believe it was on the right side wing. The the yeah, strut that, that, that helped support that wing had broken off. Flying straight, you're fine, but as soon as you go to turn, you're going to change the force on that, and the wing's going to snap off. Well, he knew that. He recognized the problem, knew the consequences, knew what he needed to do, and he was able to basically just, I'm going to glide right down. I can't turn and go back to the airfield. I'm landing in this field right here. And Second and- time it flew. I mean, he, he landed it. There was no crash, so there wasn't a big FAA investigation. It was just more of an internal, okay, this broke, let's figure out why. Obviously, they didn't fix the problem very well because pretty soon the creator, and I believe there was one other person, went to fly it again. Same issue happened, excuse me, because they were not trained test pilots and and able to recognize what would happen if you try and turn the vehicle uh, they, okay, the strut breaks again. We're going to turn, go back to the, the airfield. Well, as soon as you turn, yep, the wing snaps, car plummets, uh, plummets yeah. back to the ground and unfortunately kills, you know, kills them both, which did lead to an FAA investigation that said, okay, these welds are crap. This bracket thing, it's, it's not going to work. And that was, that was the end. <laughs> that was the end of the flying Pinto. The good news is it didn't yes. explode on impact. Because it was a Pinto. It, it was a Pinto, yes. <laughs> um, so that is our... Now, I I distinctly remember getting Popular Mechanics. I think you had a Popular Mechanics subscription when I was a kid. I did for a And I know on several occasions there was some new flying car prototype that was coming out. What is it with this, we want a car, but we want to fly too, that we just, A, we can't let it go... And B, we can have, you know, the world at our fingertips on a phone, but we can't figure out how to make a damn car fly. You know, I don't think the problem is we can't figure out how to make a car fly. The problem is when you get in a jet and you fly somewhere, what altitude are you flying at? 30,000 feet? Yeah, probably. It, It is because the air is so thin up there. You pressurize the cabin so people can still breathe and you get incredible fuel economy at 30,000 feet. Your car, you're going to fly that thing at 5,000 feet. It's horribly inefficient. Yeah, that's true. I so, think that I think that article said it had a ceiling of up to 12,000. I There's no way I'm sitting in a Pinto 12,000 feet <laughs> off the ground. 12,000 feet. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, one more shiny object before we call it a night. Who is this guy in his uh, steam-powered rocket, the flat earth guy? Wow. That, and, and that is a rather sad story. He had a steam-powered rocket. Uh, the guy's got to be smart. He, he he's launched this thing before, up three, four, five thousand feet. But uh, he launched it. The parachute deployed instantly, which of course uh, caused his seat to eject him and came crashing into the ground. Yeah, I'm very sad. But steam-powered? Why was somebody building a steam? Only in America, you know. <laughs> that is uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, this just popped into my head here. <laughs> While we were talking about the Pinto, um, I got to try and find this now. And it was. What's Jake up to while he's finding that? Some more stuff over there. Oh, he was talking about uh, this the Pinto thing. He said he's heard of these. Some places you can register them as either an experimental or an LSA light sport aircraft, and therefore are license exempt. I have a cousin. In fact, I'm going to see him here in a couple of weeks. That has a uh, sailplane with with a 
the parasail plane. So you got the little, almost like a go-kart with the, the propeller on the back for propulsion. And then you pull the parachute and fly with that. That looks like a lot of fun. He yeah. used to, he used to do some hang gliding, but, uh, after a couple of broken arms, he decided the uh, sailplane was a whole lot more fun. <laughs> you know who I blame all this on? Who? The Jetsons. I do, too. <laughs> Funny little thing. With their guy. little power packs on their back and the way they could fly everywhere. Yeah, but, boy, when they dumped Elroy off to school, they just pulled the little they lever. literally he, dumped him. <laughs> he dropped out of the bottom of the little space car. Did you find it, Don? I did. I just sent it to you on Messenger. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, I need to do some research on this to find out if this is a real thing. Well, I'm sure they're not going to because I don't know. But that is freaking awesome. Ford bringing <laughs> back the Pinto. So they've got uh, a top and bottom picture here. The, the bottom picture is an old Pinto wagon. It looks to be in decent shape. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then just above that is, I'm I'm assuming this is a a concept car something that you know we're going to make it we're going to take it to a car show it's going to tour the world it's going to be awesome we're never actually going to make them and sell them to people but this thing is a a, a sporty two-door hatchback uh i can't I, I think that's just a wood grain paint job on it i'm sure it's a wood grain paint job it's got mustang gt tail lights a little tail fin it is definitely a long roof Kind of uh, half Mustang and half Dodge Magnum. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of a cool looking concept. Yeah. They could bring that back. <laughs> that is. That, that would it's sell. It's cool. I, I'm not sold on that paint job, though. That is that is just, it is cool. I I am. I think it's cool. I don't know who it's Kids don't it. know what a station wagon is anymore, though. Kids don't know what wood All they know are vans. All they know is smartphones. True. <laughs> well, I know him better than me. That's for sure. I I still stand by my theory. The smartphone is has replaced the automobile in it in the teenager's mind as their symbol of freedom. Yes. No, because anymore you get them well before you're a teenager. That's true. Oh, that's sad. The elementary school is full of kids with smartphones. Well, how old is Asa? Nine or ten now? Nine. 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 Nine years old. So he comes over. We we sit and we're. <laughs> Watching TV and the channel has changed a couple of times. And when he leaves, uh, the Roku is now giving voice commands in another language. Yeah. <laughs> but he oh. didn't do that. I asked him and he did not do that. So oh, something got bumped. Something got bumped somewhere. Yeah. I, was like, I, I figured it was him playing with it. No big deal. It was just kind of funny. What do you say we uh, roll this thing up and call it a night? Somebody's got to get up early in the morning to go to the gym. Yes. Well, it sure as hell ain't me. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got donuts to eat in the morning. Oh. Good for you. Hey, do you yeah. remember us talking about the uh, hamburger with the uh, Krispy Kreme for a bun? Uh-huh. The cop burger? The cop burger. I was listening to Bob and Tom last week because I'm not allowed to listen to podcasts at work. So, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that, I start my day with, with, you know, from 6 to 10, Bob and Tom. Um, they they do a good job. It yeah. is a very entertaining. You know show. they do. I wish I had what they had. Maybe we'd have more than thirty seven downloads every Friday. But uh, <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah, uh, I think Bob said he tried that and it is. He made his own and it was freaking delicious. Yeah, they so. they are good. Uh, if you suffer from high cholesterol or heart problems, I would not recommend eating it or diabetes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when we met up with you guys in Wausau and 
we felt the need to eat. I don't even remember what the thing was called, but you know, it's it's a pound of meat. It is a pound. And then there's of, bacon yeah. and and buns, and I didn't think I was going to make it home. It I, was, I was feeling horrible. It was delicious, but I felt like I swallowed a bowling ball for about a day and a half after yeah, eating that I, thing. We're driving back, and I'm constantly like hitting my chest trying to get this thing to slide down and at one point I'm pretty sure my castle curator thought I was having a heart attack. Do you know what do you know what that burger was missing though? What? A fried egg. It needed a fried egg. That oh, would have made Lord. all the difference in the world. That yes, burger so. needed a fried egg. I don't really think it needed any more it grease. Did. You, you you have a pound of hamburger Two nice slices of, of good Wisconsin cheddar good. cheese. You have good. bacon. You have some onions, some tomato, and then normal garnishment. Um, but I, not being a pig, did not eat the top bun. <laughs> no, that's not, not you be, not being I a did. pig. That's you remembering you, you're diabetic. Try, try, to, try to cut down on the carbs. I don't want to go on a coma on the drive home. <laughs> right. <laughs> In hindsight, I, I should. I just wanted to take a nap. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was delicious though, and it was fun. Oh, now I blame it on you because had you not ordered that, I would have ordered a patty melt. That's true. <laughs> I had. I, there is a new trend going, and it, maybe it's not new, but I'm just noticing it more. Of different kinds of burgers, you know, it, it's you can't just go get a normal cheeseburger anymore. I had one the yes. other day. It was two patties, one. Burger, normal hamburger patty. The next one was a brat patty. Hmm, that's kind of weird. It it was, and it had a uh, like a, a sauerkraut and Thousand Island mixed together dressing on it that just oozed everywhere. Huh. I the don't know. first the first bite just kind of overwhelms you because there's just so much happening. But <laughs> after that, it was like, oh my god, this! Why have I never thought of this before? <laughs> this is oh, phenomenal. Man. Now, here's a, actually, and, and Chris will back me on this. These are delicious. And if you're trying to watch your carbs on the road in a truck, there are plenty of truck stops with a Hardee's. So you go into Hardee's and you yeah. order, what is that thing called? The, the no carb burger or something? Something like that. I think it's the low carb yes. burger. And what you get is the Hardee's thick burger on big pieces of lettuce instead of a bun. Yeah, and it is delicious. Just get a fork and you know eat it with a fork and a knife. But it's it's. I had that a lot of not a lot on the road, maybe twice a month. But I mean, Chris and I have had that every now. And then. We'll go up and order the low carb burgers and bring them home, and they're delicious. Ah, uh, just go with the meatless burgers that everybody's doing that are higher in carbs and fat yeah. and everything. Oh yeah. yeah, my butt has hair on it. I do not do <laughs> meatless burgers. <laughs> Oh, with that, time to with button that, it up. Hey, uh, uh, you can still get a hold of us at feedback at truckingpodcast.com yep. or you can get a hold of us at, uh, this one is real easy, truckingafterhours at gmail.com. I simplified this thing so, so easy. I can publish it. I, I spent an hour publishing everything last. Boom, I recovered all that time. And now I can put, I should have three articles published this All right. I like it. So, hey, uh, you all have a good night. I'll dub the music in after the fact. Stay safe, shiny side up. You know what to do if you jack half a truck. Just don't do it. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Drive safe out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you all next week. My life is drowned in a firm routine of coffee, sleep, and work. I am not poor.